There was something. Oh yeah, that's what I was gonna tell you. Um, so I got this new like I don't know if I got. It. I just like used like a promo code or whatever and got half off for grocery delivery service. Have you ever heard of this? I think honestly, I mean, it seems like it's like the wave of the future. I think that we're gonna be telling our grandkids about how we used to go into the grocery stores and shop for things, um, kind of pick out our own produce and everything. But mm-hmm. the way that like Amazon is taking over and there's like delivery next day or same day delivery i mean it's pretty obvious that like we're gonna stop shopping in grocery stores at some point yeah it's gonna go back to the it's gonna go to the point where we're just like back in my day we had to wait for a week or we would just go to the store just like (laughs) what's a store just like oh these ovens (laughs) so i got one i just used it not because i wanted to but i used it to get um because i was getting half off my groceries for the month i was like yeah why not mm-hmm. um but so i went to go use it and it's like an app i'm not gonna say the app because like unless you want to sponsor us i'm not mentioning it yeah not sponsored <laughs> not gonna say <laughs> uh so i went to the app and was like looking through it and i didn't realize it was like really annoying at least to shop for my groceries this way and maybe because like i just the way that i shop for groceries like sometimes like i'll see things and like i'll see I don't know, chicken tiki masala mix. And I'd be like, oh, cool. I think I want to make that for this week. And then I'll go and like find the other parts of it and put it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this, like in the app, it's kind of like you're scrolling through every single item in a grocery store. And mm-hmm. like, it's none of it. They have like categories, but they're not like alphabetized or anything. I normally look for like on sale items and even the on sale, like it has to like, you have to only look at it on your phone and then you have to scroll through and you don't realize like you can miss entire sections and shelves of an item or like, I'm not looking for refried beans. I'm not going to like go down this aisle, but like with that, if you're with the app, when you're looking through it, you have to like make like a judgment about every single item, you know? Yeah. And it just like, it was just taking me a long time to grocery shop, like longer than what it would have if I just like walked into the store. Um, and it was just like, this just feels weird to like go through and kind of like Amazon scroll and like pick up my stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when the person's grocery shopping for you, like the person's like texting me being like, hey, they ran out of chicken breasts. Like are chicken thighs okay? And like sending me pictures of stuff or like, oh, they didn't have the soap you wanted. Do you want to get this instead? Ha- so you did this one time <laughs> one time I, I guess currently and, and I the person yeah. didn't do like a like a selfie with like a surprise face like they're out no 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 <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd probably be like the most interesting person like they're all on chicken thighs you just see like mouth open like scream <laughs> like <laughs> scream painting look it's like oh, oh my gosh it's like we do? have this instead it's like it's like where does the third hand come from <laughs> uh so that person just, would yeah. probably like be like the like most boss at doing the job like people be like be like yeah can i get the uh person that shops for me that has all the character <laughs> i would like some character and my experience of shopping welcome everyone to the fairpoint podcast this is uh your host daniel fairley the second sorry and our producer, Bertram Zeke. <laughs> I know you were looking at me waiting for me to just jump in on it. It was not happening. It was not Damn. happening. Thank you for the alley-oop, though, but it was it. not happening. Do I need to do it again? No. You- no, we're good. We're good. Okay. Yeah. Oh, something I think is interesting, though, just because I always go back to our first episode talking about names and mm-hmm. you talking about, like, second or senior and junior mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I never knew that Anthony Davis, who plays for the Pelicans, is trying to leave the Pelicans. I didn't know yeah. that he was a junior. 
Because it was never splayed on his oh, name. Oh, I didn't know that either. Because apparently his father spoke out saying, I don't want my son on the Celtics. <laughs> and they're like, uh, Anthony Davis Sr. says he doesn't want his son on the Celtics. I was like, wait, he's a junior? Oh. Like, I didn't know, that, know that at all. And apparently there's also a, there's two players in the NBA that are known as like the Morris twins. There's Markeith and Marcus Morris. And on 2K, I've noticed that Marcus Morris now has senior next to his name. But does it happen in real life or is it? I think he has in real life is just okay. earlier, like at the start of NBA 2K19, he didn't have it and they updated it and now he does have it. Oh, it is cool how like with new video games and stuff, like you'll be able to, if you use like active rosters and mm-hmm. you know I mean, you like literally like week by week, day by day, they'll be able to say, oh, sorry, Steph Curry's like injured for this game. Yeah. Um, or you can even play like their current schedule, like the games that they're going to play. And mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. I think it's, it's also cool pretty cool update. to see how much LeBron's barber fixed his hairline for that. Oh, respect- for no, the, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> did he get hair plugs or something? It like something happened. No, I've seen before that something that can be done is there's like these shavings that can be sprinkled onto your hair mm-hmm. and just be groomed in to look like it's your natural hair. But then you can't like wash your head for like the next week. You think that's what he's done? I feel like he apparently has that's money. apparently that's what he does. And also there's some of that Beijing. Beijing is that the thing that, that that's Safari like the thing did? that like darkens your hair. Oh, uh, like, never mind. Okay. Yeah. Um, but still, like, I was thinking about, like, Nicki Minaj. Like, didn't she pay for a safari to get, like, hair plugs or something? There's I some, have, like... I have no clue. ...new hair thing that's happening in, I don't know, black men in the community. Hmm. It's a thing. We, we talk about it on, in our meetings. You wouldn't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, that's what the black card is for. It's for going to the black meetings. White, to people are, white people are not allowed. This is a safe space. No. We have to talk about our hairlines and how we're going to manipulate them. I mean, I feel like that's good information for white people to know because white people are too ignorant about black people's hair. You know, one white person literally thought that my hair just grew in like right angles. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he thought like, it's like, wait, you have to go get your hair cut that way. So that way it's like, you know. It's like your hair and, doesn't just naturally have a fade. Right. Like, no, that's not how my hair works. You'd be like, you mean those two lines? Those are like shaved <laughs> in the side of your head if you want to get those. Like, Yes. <laughs> It's like, so your hair just doesn't go straight up? Right. It's like, no, the high top is something <laughs> that people work on. Yeah, hair is so interesting. Um, all right, so you want to... Uh, well, I introed, so... Yes, but the first topic is your topic. I know, but we still gotta... Hey, everyone, welcome, like, and subscribe. Oh, yeah. I just want to, like, dive all the way I into know, it. I know, we gotta really crank it. All right, so... Mm. Thank you, everyone, for uh, listening again to the Fairpoint Podcast. You think you're about to say something. <laughs> it sounds like the outro. <laughs> no. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. I, I'm still thanking you for, in the beginning, you can never be thanked enough. Um, so, anyways, so like and subscribe uh, on Instagram, where I'll be posting uh, basically just kind of like intros into what we're going to be talking about during the week. Twitter at the Fairpoint Pod. Uh, email us with any questions or ideas at the Fairpoint Podcast at gmail.com. And seriously, like being like being subscribed, you'll be able to get automatically downloaded, uh, especially from like iTunes. I get it every Monday at 9 a.m. It just kind of automatically downloads and it's so much easier than waiting for Instagram posts or trying to figure anything out. Like you just subscribe because us a subscriber and it also helps out um, for you as well so that we don't have to like look for anything. You're just kind of like, oh, look at this. Yep, and if you want to find places that you can listen to us, you can find us on 
iTunes or Apple, whichever one is really considered, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Castos hosting site, and YouTube. Wow, that was fast. I know. Getting straight to the point, getting it done, like bam. All right, here we go. So, first topic. Um, so, I didn't know if I was going to put this under point for point, or I like it like that, or that's too damn bad, or whatever. Because it doesn't. I, really I don't fit feel like it'd be. A, I like it like that, or. Well, so this is my thing, right? So I think that it fits into I like it like that because of the response that I've seen. Okay. Do you know what I mean? The yeah. actual act, I, obviously, I don't like, but the response that's like kind of come out through the community um, and things that I've seen have been like really positive, mm-hmm. and something that I think has not happened for this group of people before especially in the black community mm-hmm. but what we're talking about right now is uh jesse smollett who was known for playing jamal line on empire and actually i found out that he was terry on the mighty ducks see i haven't seen the mighty ducks forever so i don't think i would have made that connection until i saw the notes i was just like really Is yeah the mighty ducks i know uh i was looking him up and then it was keenan thompson um was like talking about it on some late night show and he said yeah like to my fellow mighty duck like you know, I'm mm-hmm. looking. At I always you. forget that Keenan Thompson is a Mighty Ducks. Too. Again, I was like, man, I forgot the two black people in Mighty Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about it is, I never thought that you'd be in Mighty Ducks just because, mm-hmm. like, I always thought of him as a singer that got his break in acting on Empire. Right. Like that's the way right. that I always thought it was. I thought the same thing. Um, but anyways, but it's it's much sadder than that because he was hospitalized on Tuesday, January 29th, following a really brutal and hateful attack. Where, uh, according to the Chicago police, Smollett was beaten by two men who approached him, yelling out racial and homophobic slurs. They then assaulted him and poured an unknown chemical substance on him, which I haven't heard much more about. Um, but I think this... it was bleach. Okay. I think they reported that it was bleach. God, that's just disgusting. Um, so they poured bleach on him, um, and after beating him senseless, they left him with like a noose around his neck as they ran away. Uh, Smollett then literally transported his own self to the area hospital and was admitted there. Um, this happened like all after Jesse had just posted on Instagram that he was having a late Monday night after arriving in the city of Chicago. Uh, he spent seven hours on a plane for a two hour flight and was just trying to get some food. And so like, that's just, that's kind of like the big background of the story. Um, and there have been a lot of people, at least like on my Facebook and everything kind of posting about it, but my God, this is just, this is just so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, like the fact that, and I'm not, uh, I'm disgusted and not surprised, um, because this is, this is our culture. This is what happens. You yeah. know, people think that little jokes, I saw Kevin Hart, like, but sent out his apologies to um and like his heartfelt condolences or whatever to jesse and it's just kind of like you you literally didn't apologize for your homophobic jokes and you're gonna think that like sending heartfelt condolences to what you view as like an actual hatred and what you view as an actual uh attack on someone else like on a homo on like um yeah uh, a homo that's not homophobic on a homosexual person um, then like, you're going to, I mean, you're going to view this and be like, oh, I'm really sorry about that. You know, my condolences go out to you, but I'm not, still not apologizing for like the homophobic things that I've said, you know, kind of goes back to like our Gillette commercial talk before where these small things when you're telling them boys will be boys or it's going to be okay. Um, you know, they'll grow out of it or whatever. Like, oh, you know, it was just one joke. Oh, he just called her, you know, a slut because, you know, she was kind of acting like it or whatever. Like this is these are the small things that build into our culture that then allows for something like this to happen, allows mm-hmm. for people to think that it's okay because they, the people that beat him up, didn't see him as human. They didn't see him as the same 
as one of them. They saw him as uh, someone that was gay, saw him as someone that was black, and then attacked both of those identities of him. Mm. Um, and so it's just so disgusting to see that like this is what our culture really has always been, um, but just like has become in a way that like just allows for people to do these really hateful things. Um, and I don't know what the consequences are going to be for the people that did this, but I'm going to be honest, I'm going to also probably be disgusted and not surprised when they get little to no jail time or, you know, Mm -hmm. they just kind of get acquitted or like, Oh, we couldn't find them. We're going to go on and, you know, close the case. Um, something like that I could definitely see happening and people in you know, the gay community, people in the black community, um, all have to just kind of accept this as like, well, you know, this is just kind of part of existing mm-hmm. and part of like the life that you live if you have a marginalized identity. And not to mention, it goes back to Kimberly Crenshaw's idea of intersectionality, where you have multiple marginalized identities that then compound towards each other, right? So you'll have her theory specifically focuses on Black women and how being both Black and a woman, like, uh, puts you back in society two steps. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's, like, all these different ways in which you can be discriminated against, either for your race or for your gender or for both, and so I think the same thing happens when you have people that are, um, again, multiple marginalized identities that it's compounded, right? Where they're able to pour bleach on him to make him white and put a noose around his neck, but then also call him homophobic slurs and, you know, like all these different things that come in the way that they attack people. Um, it was just like, it's just completely disgusting. And I, I can't, uh, I can't even like fathom, um, what it must feel like, you know, to, to have that happen to you. And just the way that it's so hard for, for people just to exist. And this is literally like, he was going to get some food. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, I don't know, even if he was doing something, right. He was like, but he wasn't right. He wasn't doing anything. This is the same way it happens when you have Alton Sterling or Philando Castile or whatever, just name yeah, it's someone. Just people existing. minding their own business. And then something happens to him. It's like Trayvon walking home from, a convenience store with skills yeah. and iced tea and someone decides to approach him, fight him and then shoot him. Yeah. Kill him. Right. And so it's just like, uh, it's just like the, the idea that you're very, my personal very existence is so disgusting, so unhuman to someone else that they would take my life or that they would threaten to take my life or that this is a real possibility that this could happen mm-hmm. um, just because of how, I look or even how it could be perceived. Yeah. See, there was a few things I was wondering about this when I saw a pop up was one, was he the original target or are they going out looking for anyone? Which is a good question because who the hell could just carries a noose around with them? Yeah. Noose bleach and ski mask. Right. They're wearing ski masks. Right. Who does this? So I was wondering if they were like, Oh, we're going to go out and get someone. And then they saw him as like, Oh, He's black, gay, and famous. Mm-hmm. Let's get him. Mm-hmm. So which I feel like going after him because he's famous and well-known, if they were just going to go out for somebody randomly, that's going to end them in more trouble because it's someone that has fame with them. And fame always helps. And money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, yeah, so you think that they were just looking to do some That That's just what I want to know because mm-hmm. uh, apparently like from what you said, like, he was like let people know about like his circumstance that he had like just landed recently mm-hmm. hadn't been on a plane for seven hours for two and a half hour flight right that they could have been watching was just like oh he's here let's go get him or mm-hmm. it could have literally been a matter of let's go get someone tonight oh we know who that is mm-hmm. yeah 
especially since they were throwing out like homophobic slurs like right. homophobia is not something that someone just wears especially not him like he looks like a normal person that just has money and is well dressed when you say normal what do you mean like people consider when someone looks gay like mm-hmm. they look very effeminate if they're mm-hmm. a man mm-hmm. but like yeah like a gay person just looks normal like there's nothing that's really outstanding about them just like there's nothing no flag that looks like hey i'm gay here right or anything like that i hear what you're saying but i think that like it's it's like being gay is normal too do you get what i'm saying yeah but like the way that people look at it is like you look gay if you dress a certain way which is not quote-unquote normal okay so when they like when you look at him like even if you have that impression in your mind you look at him as like like he would look still normal. Like he wouldn't look gay in that mindset. Okay. So they had I to still have known. I don't think normal is the right word you're looking for. I think maybe he would look heterosexual. I f- see. That's where the like. This is me trying to get into their mind though with it. Okay. Because whenever yeah, whenever you see like a gay person and you look at how they're dressed. Like, 99% of the time, you'll be like, there's nothing awkward about how they're dressed. Like, how they are dressed looks no different from anyone else. Okay. <laughs> Keep so, going. yes, the way they look is normal. But, like, there are times where some people will dress in a way that looks like a man will, man will dress more effeminate looking. Which, he definitely does not fall into that category. Like, he doesn't express these more effeminate like traits that people will see in someone and think, oh, they might be gay because of them. Like a stereotype. Yeah. Okay. So he's not, he doesn't, he isn't a gay He doesn't stereotype. like, you don't look at him and you're like, oh, he's definitely a stereotype. Okay. Of a gay person. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're getting so there. Like, We're there. <laughs> so like if you see him and you like start calling him a homophobic slur, mm-hmm. either you know who he is or that's just your normal vocabulary to try and tear somebody down. Which both can be true, right? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a part of masculinity and this idea of being as far away from femininity as possible. So anything that comes close to that and you're viewing homosexuality as close to that, then, mm-hmm. you know, that's the same reason why people will use the F word when referring. Like, I have little kids that I work with that will use the F word when referring to, like, their friends and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, oh, no homo, you know, stuff like that where you are trying to distance yourself from homosexuality which is closer to femininity in your mind Mm -hmm. um so i think that you're absolutely right it could be either either they knew that he was gay or that's just just their normal tear people down yeah um their normal terminality or terminology for trying to tear someone down mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah so i mean it's just it's just really disgusting um i think that the part that i do like not obviously nothing about the act, but I think the part that I do like about what's I've, what I've seen is just kind of this large outpouring of support um, mm-hmm. from people. I mean, people in my my life that I've seen um, post things that were like homophobic or people that like, you know, will say things like no homo or will, like just kind of have this general vibe of 
not trying to be anywhere near homosexuality mm-hmm. um posted like their condolences and I'm, I'm mostly talking about black people mm-hmm. um post their condolences towards jesse um condolences towards like what's happened to him and so there's just like an outpouring of support both from people that i've seen on my facebook and then also like from the 20th century fox television and fox entertainment uh, they sent out a statement saying we are deeply saddened and outraged to learn that a member of our empire family jesse smith Sorry, Jesse Smith. Jesse Smollett uh, was viciously attacked last night. Uh, GLAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, but now it's just known as GLAD, uh, to include trans people, has also like put out a statement. GLAD reached out to Fox's Jesse and Jesse's team today to offer assistance as well as support for him. Jesse is a true champion for LGBTQ people and is beloved by the community and allies around the world. Um, and then so just other people, you know, it's kind of saying over and over again like we support you we support you we support you which is good that we've gotten to this point in society where we can see a very direct and vicious hate crime occur Mm -hmm. and there isn't this both sides well what were you know maybe those were nice guys and maybe they just had a bad day or whatever like no like these people were hateful racist and homophobic people that put a noose around a black man and called him, you know, homophobic slurs. Like this is, there's nothing that excuses this at Mm -hmm. all. Um, Like this is the exact same behavior that we've seen for like hundreds of years in the country towards people of color. mm -hmm. Like you think about like Emmett Till, you think about all the stories that different people in black history have told about like their experiences dealing with racist white people that hit them over a head at a sit-in or something mm -hmm. like like it's not new at all but it's still disgusting nonetheless right and i think that it's it was less acceptable it was more acceptable then to do things like that and i'm guessing i mean it's it's nice to see that we've gotten to a point we should have been here a long time ago but it's good to see we've gotten to a point where uh some you know like something that's very blatantly hateful and blatantly like an attack on another person Mm. is something that people can rally behind and be like this was wrong yeah, because that that's for some reason is not always the question. There's there will be people that'll say, "Oh, well, are we sure? Oh, we don't know all the facts. Oh, this. Oh, that." Yeah, hence to what we were saying earlier with like uh, Sterling, Castile, mm-hmm. Martin, right? Like, that they'll like try to find other ways or like try to demonize Jesse, right, and say, mm-hmm. "Oh, you know." He smoked weed once or tried to find something in his past, which I wonder, that goes back to your idea about fame, right? What would happen if this was just some black kid? We probably wouldn't hear about it. Honestly, like this this happens, I'm sure, on a daily basis for a lot of people. And I think that if this was um, like, you know, a black kid that was not famous, that was walking home from, you know, getting some food or whatever, like, I, I think you're right that we would not hear about it. We wouldn't know anything about it or that the people that were even that even did this to this person right like they for sure would never get charged right they might like mm-hmm. this person may because it with jesse he even brought his case to the cpd the the um chicago police department and talked about it and they like he had to give a statement like multiple times and they've been accusing him of like changing his story and oh I, i've never trusted the chicago police department i've never even been to chicago and mm-hmm. i've never trusted them I mean, it's just like, how do you, how can you trust someone? I mean, especially when you have like mayor, isn't Rahm Emanuel still the mayor? I don't know, but Um, like, this is the same police department that had the Laquan McDonald case where the officer fired 16 shots and all these officers testified. mm -hmm. He was going for the officer. And then we see 
the footage, he's just walking down the street, not yeah. even towards anybody. Yeah. And now, thankfully, those officers are being charged. Um, did you see that as well? I saw that uh, the one that shot him is being charged. I didn't see anything right. about any of the other so, officers. So, yeah, so he is being charged. He was, I think he was convicted um, yeah. and found guilty. But the, also the other, like, maybe three or four other officers that were charged with covering up the crime because mm-hmm. it was so blatant that they were lying and that they, like, specifically, you know, took, like, I think there was emails and other things where they were like, we have to protect um, our people, we have to protect our force and, like, our brothers um so i yeah so knowing that that's the case right where someone can be killed by a police department or killed by a member of the police department um and then thankfully be held accountable thanks to video because if there was no video they the police's story would have reigned supreme Mm -hmm. you know that would have been just the story they would have said well we have eight different officers that say that he was running towards them with a knife so that's all that we got Right. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't until the video came out that thankfully showed that this man was walking away from them um, and then shot 16 times. And so like that provides some justice. It still doesn't give his life back. Yeah. It provides some justice. But I, yeah, I think that it's, it would be far fetched to say that something like this um, that happened in Chicago with the Chicago police department um, that has a history of longstanding history of racism would take something like this seriously, especially mm-hmm. if, it, if they didn't have a spotlight on them from this being a famous person. Yeah. And also one extra black history fact, since it's now black history month is the Chicago police department is also the same people that killed Fred Hampton, mm. like walks into a black Panther nest and was shot him. it up. Mm-hmm. Claimed that there was a shootout, which the only gun fired by a black Panther was the 16 year old boy that was shot at the door whose gun went off and hit the ceiling. Right. And then, yeah, assassinated Fred Hampson. And were never held accountable. Nope. They all got paid leave and made jokes about it afterwards. And during it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you'll see, you even see part of that in the, the, the 13th documentary, um, mm. when, they, when they show there's the bloodied mattress and his whole family slaughtered um, by the police department. Man. Um, so, with, so after all of this, Jesse eventually spoke out um, and kind of responded because he we, people didn't hear from him. I mean, obviously, he was pretty beaten up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he spoke out and spoke to Essence, like a lo- longstanding black magazine, saying, let me start by saying that I'm okay. My body is strong, but my soul is stronger. More importantly, I want to say thank you. The outpouring of love and support from my village has meant more than I will ever be able to truly put in words. And so that's something um, that's it's it's good to hear. And I'm happy to hear that he's OK, because, I mean, again, this could have ended extremely. This could have ended terribly. Right. If they had bleach, mm-hmm. I mean, they could have forced him to drink bleach. There was if they had a noose, they could have actually hung him. Like there were so many different things that could have happened um, that ended really. It ended in, in obviously a horrible way, um, but mm-hmm. it could have ended much worse. And so I'm happy to hear that he's OK hoping that their like justice will be served and they'll be able to find these people um, in a city. If you ever actually look around, there are cameras everywhere. everywhere. Every single, like just like look up and look at the corner of a building just anytime you're in a city um, and you're always going to see cameras there. And so I think that it, it will be hard for them to find that there were no witnesses or that these people, because they had on ski masks were just completely unidentifiable Um yeah, I mean, ATMs have cameras, like, everything. Like, there's just cameras mm-hmm. everywhere. 
And so I think that like, hopefully these people will be found, um, and then brought to justice because I mean, it's just, it's just so disgusting, um, that they're able to do this to this person. And I just hope that they're held somewhat accountable in, in whatever way that can be. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see pretty shortly that like they're identified and captured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I would say, you know, to the support and outpouring that's come out, um, even from people that have done and said, you know, homophobic things, I, I'm glad to see that people like, we're at a point where people can see this and be like, this is wrong mm-hmm. and there's no excuse for this. Yeah. And I always think, try to think back like, well, with this case, with cases in the past, like in the fight for civil rights, when uh, people of color or any reason really get like beat up, tortured, mm-hmm. killed. Mm-hmm. I always think, how can someone do something so inhumane? And then I remember, oh, because they decided to not think of them as another person. Exactly. Like black people were always considered to be lesser than all the way up until the law said, stop that. And even after that, they're still, I mean, obviously yeah, today, it's, right? yeah, yeah, it's still happening, but mm-hmm. like, it's not, it's not accepted as a social norm anymore, right. thankfully. Right. But it was, yeah, this whole matter of, oh, this person is something less than me. Like there's this mm-hmm. like racial hierarchy. There's this mental hierarchy that always happens where people are like, this person is beneath me. I can do whatever I want to them and I'm going to do whatever I want to them. And yeah. you always see that in race. You see that in, in uh, sexuality. You see that in gender, uh, social status, mm-hmm. like how our president can like get away with whatever he wants because he has all the money to pay for lawyers. You just see it in all these different cases where like people literally think, oh, I'm better than you, so I'm going to do whatever I want. I can get away with it, and there's nothing you could do about it. And they'll do anything as a result to whoever they think is beneath them. Yeah, and it's it comes from a history of that working, right? Mm-hmm. It comes from a history of Trump going through, like with the Central Park Five or, you know, I mean, calling for their deaths, even though they were found not guilty of like raping the woman. Um, like he was still calling for their deaths and still, you know, was found multiple times uh, not giving apartments to black people in New York City. And like, this is like an entire history of him being able to do things like this. And so when he is able to come up on stage and say, build that wall or say, you know, knowing that he is um, not letting, not paying 800,000 federal workers and that many of those people, especially the custodians and all that, all the custodians that are in the White House, all the custodians and the people that do lawn maintenance or whatever, some of the kind of like grunge jobs Mm. um, all around the federal government, they're all contracted. And when you're a contracted worker like that, you don't get back pay from the federal government. That pay is just no longer yours. And so it's not just the like Deloitte kids that are, you know, contracting and have like a special assignment or whatever that they're not getting their pay from the federal government. It's like people that have, you know, full-time jobs and full families and um, do the dirty work of keeping these buildings in pristine condition that are not going to get paid. And you think Trump cares about that? Trump could not care one iota, um, Mm -hmm. but he's able to get away with it over and over and over again. Um, And so that for me just shows the way that in which we value people's lives. Could you imagine if 800,000 Wall Street brokers and, you know, whatever they were like up and like, if you imagine 800,000 of them didn't get paid because of president Trump, 
they that, would like, probably freak <laughs> out and they would actually most likely be fine like during the period that they're not getting money oh yeah i mean but it was just like that it wouldn't even last long it, it would either never happen or it would last five minutes until they all got on the phone and all caught up and took away all of their money that's inside of the government that's paying all of these politicians and the NRA and whatever, they would have taken all that money out and the people would have said, okay, now we're going to do something about this. Mm -hmm. But since it wasn't them, since it was these workers that are federal employees that you can just tell like, hey, you just have to work right now. You're not going to get paid. Like you can just tell them these things and they don't have any options. Like that's how you abuse the system. That's how you abuse these people that have no leverage against you. They have no way to say no. They have no way to say hey, I can't do this, or I really need to get paid, please pay me. It wasn't until, like, people that were rich decided that they they were worthy of being paid again. Mm-hmm. And something that I just found out this week is just, like, like, you don't really think about the spectrum of how many people are within getting paid by the government like that it's outside of D.C. Yes. Like, I think I heard the number was somewhere, like, in the 70 percentile of the jobs that are paid for by the U.S. government are outside of Washington, D.C. itself. It's a small city, yeah. So, like, just thinking about, like, the park maintenance, all these different Mm -hmm. things, like, I literally watched a video, like, maybe last night or the night before at work when I'm not supposed to, that uh, that basically explained the whole entire mess of the shutdown, how it was affecting people, and there were, like, four people that gave their testimonies on the matter that were, like, uh, this is pretty bad. Like, like uh, there is one woman that was like a cancer survivor that has a son with asthma and she has asthma. And because of the government shutdown, if it were to go on any longer, there would be no way that she could pay for any of her checkups for cancer. No way that she could pay for uh, inhalers or anything for herself or a kid with asthma. Uh, you have like different people like uh, certain lawyer jobs that it would be like they have to do all these cases. They're not getting paid at all. And all four of these people that gave their testimonies also went through the shutdown in 2013. Yes. And they're like, oh, this is like this one was way different. Like that one, they gave us heads up, told us ways that we could prep, file for different things ahead of time. So we were able to get set and be ready for a shutdown that would go on for like maybe a paycheck and be fine. Whereas this one, it was. It happened abruptly, no real warning other than the president saying, I'll be Mr. Shutdown, to which he still denies. And, like, yeah, just nothing really into it. And I also kind of found out that it was a, these people still got, like, their paycheck, like, at the end of December, but it was, they didn't get paid for anything after when the government shut down. So, it was like... I guess I've been a little too busy the past few weeks. I never really got the best chance to look into all of that. But now that I got a chance to look into all of that, now that we have like a temporary opening again. Yeah. For like, whatever that matters. Yeah. I mean, it matters to the people that are getting paid again, but it doesn't matter for, um, I feel like he, like Trump was just like, okay, president. I'll let the government open back up long enough for me to get my state of the union. And then we can go back into a shutdown. Like, I feel like that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is good for any piece of this that could ever be good is that trump was able to trump did fold like on multiple occasions he folded Mm -hmm. on not moving the state of the union and when nancy pelosi said no you can't come here until the government's open back up and then he folded again to open the government back up you know what i mean so it's just like we've seen him blink right he Mm -hmm. finally blinked um and so that's good and that's like you know it's good to see that he's succumbed to some type of pressure 
But again, it took weeks and weeks and over a month before, you know, these people were able to be paid again. And then you also even go into like what happens to their families, what happens to them, mm. the services that they provide to people that, you know, offer whether it's like refund checks or uh, WIC or which is like the food stamps, like the new food stamps, mm. um, HUD subsidies, veterans that get subsidies for their, um, you know, for living in homes and things like that. All these things that were all affected and all these millions and millions of people that were affected by this one person's ego and he could not care less. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, so that was Jesse and then partly government shutdown. That was a, I don't know how we got there, but we got there. Yeah. It's weird how you can go off on a tangent and it just goes all the way. So like this had pretty much nothing to do with what we were talking about, but there's like always a way to connect it. <laughs> there is. And you'll find it. <laughs> well, anyway, I think since we were talking about, uh, corrupt politicians and whatnot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we can go into our next segment of. Oh, that is a good segment for this. Yes. Well, I'll do a nice little uh, work up to this. Our governor has a racist past. (laughs) How's that for a work up? That sounded like uh, about accurate. All right. Cool. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Virginia's governor, Ralph Northam, has been exposed in his 1984 medical school yearbook to having a picture which he was unidentified of which one it was, but there were two people in the picture under just a section for him where one person was in blackface and the other person was in a KKK hood. Full costume. Just yes. straight up. Just. Both were full costume. <laughs> which is something completely terrible considering he is somebody that's also been fighting for presently like sanctuary cities and Mm -hmm. things for people of color so looking back and seeing this it's pretty terrible especially because this is stuff that we would like to know beforehand like i feel like this could have gone a bit differently if he actually let us know beforehand that hey i have this in my past i used to be racist i apologize immensely for it (laughs) i used to be racist (laughs) it just sounds weird but it's like a pretty like accurate thing which yeah i would say like there are people that will get out of racism that can be forgiven but they have to be the ones that expose themselves oh so you think that that's what makes a difference i think that's one thing that makes a difference i think there's different levels to it and like people have different opinions based on different things but i feel like if he were to come out and be like hey i have this in my past i don't think that way anymore i'm greatly sorry for it Things could have gone differently for him. But since he didn't and it was somebody exposed him, he's pretty much done for. But with this whole outcry, which Daniel has a video, which we'll get to that momentarily, uh, we have a bunch of people that have announced that they're running for the Democratic seat for the presidential nomination. And a whole lot of them has come out saying, Ralph Northam, you need to resign from your position. And people that are within this are Julian Castro. Uh, We have Kamala Harris. We have Cory Booker, who just announced his presidency. Big ups to both of them. I'm probably going to vote for one of them. Like, it's it's looking like if I were to vote for either one, it would be one of them. Uh, We have Elizabeth Warren, Kristen Gilbrand, John Delaney, 
And we have like a lot of statements from all these different people too. But uh, I feel like before we really get into those statements, maybe we should hear what his statement is. And then we get into everybody's, uh, you know what? Nah, step down. <laughs> so there was like, there were two statements. There was one that he did last night. Was it last night? Uh, sometime earlier where he sat like at his desk and talked about it. My fellow Virginians, earlier today I released a statement apologizing for behavior in my past that falls far short of the standard you set for me when you elected me to be your governor. I believe you deserve to hear directly from me. That photo and the racist and offensive attitudes it represents does not reflect that person I am today or the way that I have conducted myself as a soldier, a doctor, and a public servant. I am deeply sorry. I cannot change the decisions I made, nor can I undo the harm my behavior caused then and today. But I accept responsibility for my past actions, and I am ready to do the hard work of regaining your trust. I have spent the past year as your governor fighting for a Virginia that works better for all people. I am committed to continuing that fight through the remainder of my term and living up to the expectations you set for me when you elected me to serve. Thank you. So... That was the initial statement. Yes, that was the initial statement. Which came out, let me make sure I get this right. It came out on Twitter on February 1st. Mm -hmm. Which... Already, I mean, we go back to what we talked about before of, like, people just sitting behind a desk and saying things. Like, Mm. you can tell that this is totally rehearsed. You can tell that he didn't have any feeling behind the words that he was saying. And it's racist. Yeah. You go for it. (laughs) All right. So I feel like... I feel like that statement came out first. And then all the resignation, like, hits came out afterwards where people are like, nah, that's not good I mean, Virginia House Democrats, like, Mm -hmm. there's so many people. The interesting um, thing was the people I saw talking about it first mm -hmm. were people from Atlanta. Oh, that's weird. Not Virginia. Like, this blew up as, like, national news very quickly. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, we have uh, different people that said that he needs to step down. Uh, Former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro saying uh, it doesn't matter if he's Republican or Democrat. This behavior was racist and unconscionable. Uh, Governor Northam should resign. Uh, He said he wasn't, you know, in high school or younger than that. He was an adult. 1984 was not, you know, 70 years ago. That was not that long ago. It really wasn't. Like, (laughs) we were both born seven years later. Like, for you to be, like, in 1984 being like, I think I could dress up in a KKK costume. I think Mm. I could dress up in blackface. Sure, take a picture of me. I believe 1984, I, you're a doc student. Yeah. I believe I saw someone said that, like, Reverend Jesse Jackson was attempting to run for president at that time. I think it was something like that. Yeah. yeah. It was, like, either there or in the 90s. It was one of those two. Yeah. And something that is interesting that someone brought up is whenever stuff like this, like, happens, you mm-hmm. always have people, you'll have people dress up mocking black culture. Yeah. Like, in some form or fashion. Like, it's happened when Obama was running. It happens every year during like, Halloween. Yeah, like, it It especially happens whenever something big in black culture, like, happens. And big things have been coming, becoming very apparent to people in black culture to the point that, yeah, now people just do it all the time. But, uh, yeah, some more 
statements uh, from Kamala Harris was the stain of racism should have no place in these great halls of government. Um, Cory Booker said these images arouse centuries of anger, anguish, and racist violence, and they've eroded all confidence in Governor Northam's ability to lead. Which, hearing that statement from him, I thought was interesting when he said eroded all confidence. Mm. Because it was, you had confidence in him, and then this came out as like, and it eroded away. Like, it wasn't something like, uh, it was just like, we turned tables, just like, you literally just wore it down by showing that. Like, mm. like that picture is sandpaper, and it just completely brushed away everything that was being worked on that you try to do, and we can't trust you because of that. So I thought his wording of it was very, it was a very good way to word it in a way that it really explains it better than just he should step down because this is bad. Yeah, that's very true. Um, it's just, it's so incredible. And I, and I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on just like, like cancel culture, right? Mm -hmm. When we have, I don't know, Shea Moisture, right? They do something like racist and then people are like, cancel Shea Moisture. And you can't really because they have really good hair products. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, so then they have other things that are more serious. You have, I don't know, Uber or whatever. We talked about this before in, an, in another episode. Mm. And um, I feel like in the future. In the Gillette episode, actually. Yeah, I feel like in the future, I want to have like a whole conversation of like cancel culture and mm -hmm. be like examples of uh, would you let them back in stuff like that. Like, I feel like that would be a very good discussion topic. But we'll save that for a later date. Yeah. Um, so for you, so what do you think about this? Like, do you think that this should he should he resign? I guess this is just the only question that I have. I think that he should, but I'm wondering if if there were any things that happened differently, like would that change people's opinion? Like, if it was if he was younger, like he was a kid, or if this was at an earlier point, like the 50s or 40s. Or if he did come out with the information before he was trying to run for any office and be like, yeah, I did this. I shouldn't have. I know better now. And I apologize. Like if all this, if all these different things happened at different times, like how much would each make a difference? Do you feel mm -hmm. like would your opinion change in any of them, those circumstances? I think my opinion would change. Possibly if it was at a different time, like you said before, if it was in the 40s or 50s, um, I mean, Northam isn't that old, but if it was during that time, um, that I think would change my opinion. If it, gosh, if he wasn't in medical school, like he's already, like, I mean, he's gone through a full education of undergraduate and then like was in medical school and you're an adult, you're, you're mm. way adult when you're in medical school. Yeah. Um, so to know that you've had experiences, this is 1984, you know, like, you know that this is wrong, um, in either costume that you were in. And so I think that that like makes a big difference for me, his age. Um, yeah. And I think that like, owning it makes a difference. And so that's when I get to the second part that really like, if you had asked me, last night or early this morning um should governor northam resign i'd be like you know like i don't really know the parts of me that make me want to say yes he should resign is because if ed gillespie was our mayor or was our governor who was a person that ran against northam mm -hmm. if ed gillespie who is a known racist who was trying like he was very pro-confederate and just racist yeah. if he had a picture like this that came out 
I would be calling for his resignation, no questions asked. And we wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, I feel like we're, like, pretty surprised at the moment. I am pretty... I'm surprised more that it didn't come out before now. And mm. also, he's been governor for a while. So it was like, where did someone just, like... I'm gonna start looking up random Democrats and looking through all their yearbooks and finding anything. Mm. Um, like, Brett Kavanaugh, like, his yearbook stuff came out, like, during the time that he was running. Dur- during the time that he was trying to be Supreme Court nominee, when he was mm. talking to Squee and whatever. Like, how did this just now come out? That feels kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but, so, like, the part that you... So if you asked me that before, I'd have been like, oh, I'm kind of wavering. I don't really know. Could be, yeah could be no and then the second video comes out where he spoke about it at like on two two o'clock or so i was confronted with the images yesterday i was appalled that they appeared on my page but i believe then and now that i am not either of the people in that photo i stand by my statement of apology to the many virginians who were hurt by seeing this content on a yearbook page that belongs to me. It is disgusting. It is offensive. It is racist. And it was my responsibility to recognize and prevent it from being published in the first place. I recognize that many people will find this difficult to believe. The photo appears with others I submitted on a page with my name on it. Even in my own statement yesterday, I conceded that based on the evidence presented to me at the time, the most likely explanation that it was indeed me in the photo. In the hours since I made my statement yesterday, I reflected with my family and classmates from the time and affirmed my conclusion that I am not the person in that photo. While I did not appear in this photo, I am not surprised by its appearance in the EVMS yearbook. In the place and time where I grew up, many actions that we rightfully recognize as abhorrent today were commonplace. My belief that I did not wear that costume or attend that party stems in part from my clear memory of other mistakes I made in this same period of my life. That same year, I did participate in a dance contest in San Antonio, in which I darkened my face as part of a Michael Jackson costume. I look back now and regret that I did not understand the harmful legacy of an action like that. It is because my memory of that episode is so vivid that I truly do not believe I am in the picture in my yearbook. This is so frustrating. This is so incredibly frustrating. How, how, how the, how can you just forget that you were in blackface? Or how can you just forget that, like, you know what I mean? The way that you forget that you're in blackface is you did a lot of different stuff that was offensive to the point that it got washed away because you did so much. You did so many offensive things. You're like, was that? I don't even know. Probably was me. Let me apologize for it. And then you say you did some reflecting. Again, like... I would remember if I was in blackface, I was a white person, and I was in blackface mm. in whatever year it was. I would remember that. Yeah. I would remember if I wore a freaking KKK costume. These are memorable things. So for you to come out initially and be like, yeah, that was me. That's my bad. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, whatever. Like what he did, right? Mm-hmm. If you were to do that, like that just makes so much more sense to me than if you are now coming back and saying, 
oh yeah, I just remembered, that wasn't the time I wore blackface, it was this other time that I wore blackface. I sub- he even said, I submitted these photos. I, I brought these photos to the yearbook publisher, because I'm sure that they had to print them out. He had to print out these photos mm-hmm. and bring, go to the freaking CVS, hand over a little film can, give him, get, go ahead, hey, you go ahead and, you know, you, you develop these photos for me. Take them out, probably laugh, go over into the yearbook photo. Hey, Jimmy, because we're at VMI and it's 1984, no women can go here. Jimmy, you go ahead and publish these photos for me. Line them up, make them look real nice inside of my full name and on my yearbook. Make sure that they are displayed there, mm-hmm. right? Jimmy then goes through, you know, puts all the photos up and whatever, whatever. Like, how in the world can you tell me that, like, this is just somehow not you anymore? Like, this is just, oh, I don't know. I Oh, God. Oh, man. That just, that burned me up more than I thought that was going to. And apparently CBS News reported that Northam... Uh, when he was in the Virginia Military Institute yearbook, uh, his nickname was a racial slur, which was Coon Man. Jesus Christ. In his yearbook, his nickname, which means they called him this, and he was like, keep going. Yeah. Call me that. That's my name. Please publish it. Let everyone else know my name. Some people may not know. Mm-hmm. How what what happens to those people? What if I don't have class with them? How will they know that I'm Coon Man? Mm-hmm. I need them to know. Yeah, Jimmy the yearbook editor. I don't know if Jimmy's the yearbook editor, but I gotta find someone to blame. <laughs> I wouldn't put it on Jimmy. You'd probably I, I be like, like, "This is probably gonna destroy your career," but okay. I I know. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know. But just ugh, how 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 can you think that this is okay to not only Say that it was you, sorry, saying that you it was you was good, right? But then denying that it was you, because there really is no way, especially for us to prove, there's no way for us to prove that this was him, right? Mm-hmm. There's no, like, you you can't tell by the way, like, how dark the blackface was and the guy with the hood. Like, you can't really tell if it was him or not. Yeah. But Jesus Christ, circumstantial evidence shows that you were the one that submitted these photos, just like you said. Mm-hmm. You admitted to doing it because you, because... If this was completely out of the realm of possibility for you, if this was something that was just like, I would never in my life think about this, right? You know what he did? He had to go through his life and be like, when have I dressed up in blackface? There was a Michael Jackson time. There was, was there that party? I can't remember if that was one of the times I dressed up in blackface. And here's another thing about it was, if this was put in the yearbook and it wasn't something that he put in, like someone else put it in, he has a, at least half a page in the yearbook, which means he has a yearbook, which means he knows that's on his, that's on his half page, which means that he would have said something before. Yeah. Because it's like, Oh no, this is terrible. If that wasn't him at all. Even if it, even if it wasn't terrible, even if it was just like, it was a, it was a mascot and you knew damn well that you were not the mascot for VMI. Mm-hmm. Right? And there was a yearbook, it was your name, and it was a mascot that was there, and you're like, I wasn't the mascot. Why is this mascot picture there under my name? You would say something. You mm. would say, hey, this isn't a picture of me. Yeah. Like, that's that's what you would say. Mm-hmm. But you saw this, was like, yeah, I remember that. Right? And, and you went on about your life until 25, 
35 years ago, 35 years later, someone finds this and is like, yo, what's up with this? It's like, why are you either the blackface or the KKK hood? There's, there's not a good option. No. There's not like, <laughs> there know, wasn't a bunch of people and there was, you know, many different racist people. It was like, there were two, you're either one or the other. And like, that's like the secondary thought of it too. Like everybody is like mad. It's just like, I can't believe you did this. This is so racist. Which one was he? That doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's just that bad of a thing where it's just like you stop and think, it's like, which one was he? Wait, no, what am I, I thinking? Know. It doesn't matter at all. It literally is not like there's there's just no point in being like, well, you know, I guess blackface was a little better than the KKK. Uh, maybe he just wore a bed sheet that night and had a cone on his head or like, no, there's there is no good option for you. It'd be like the lighting was bad. So I looked black and like, uh. Dan Aykroyd was beside me as a cone head from SNL, and he just happened to have a sheet on. Like, oh, God. I just, I really, I need for people, when you do really messed up things, which happens, we're human, we're imperfect, and I get that. But when you do really mess up things, I need you to own it. I need you to be able to say, I really messed up. I did this really racist thing. I had these really racist thoughts. I allowed for this really, you know, horrific thing to be published in an inside of a yearbook with my name on it. Like, I allowed for this to happen. Mm-hmm. But, like, like, when you, if you don't do that, or if you do it and then quickly backtrack and say, wait a second, I thought about it. That wasn't the time I dressed up in blackface. It was a totally different time. Like... You're not, that does you no favors at all. I don't know who that helps for someone to be like, oh, cool. Whew. I thought it was blackface on this time, but it was just a different one. It's like you were just dressing up as Michael Jackson in San Antonio. Whew. We're okay with that, though. Right, right, exactly. And so that that would be okay. Um, we're not going to get into how years later he wouldn't have to dress up in blackface to be Michael Jackson. But <laughs> we're just, this is 1984. This is like a, getting close to thriller Michael Jackson, and he was still. He had his own issues of colorism to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, my God, man, why can't people just own up to stuff? Why can't people just say like this was I, this was my mistake and I am truly sorry, and that be the end of it? Not a second statement. Not a I'm gonna retract this. Not I was thinking about it and. Because again, if this was, there are so many different ways in which this could have gone down mm-hmm. uh, that we mentioned before, and. If there was something that, like, I absolutely knew that there was no way in my conscious mind that I would ever do something like this, then I would have just said that. That that would have just never, like, it would have been like, no, that's a photoshopped photo. Yeah. Right? Like, that's, like, ugh. But the fact that this was something that, like, yeah, I could have done this. In fact, I did do this at a different time. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like... I feel like the statement that should have come out from him today, like if he wanted to have any chance of redemption in the future, because mm-hmm. I feel like if you were to like own up to it, be like, yes, I did it. I'm sorry. I resigned right away. People would have been like, okay, we respect you for that. And then if he did like good work. He could possibly get a second chance in the future. Right. In like, a different office because the way Virginia system set up. Yeah, but you could see that happening if he played it out that way, right? Right. No, I could see that. I could see like him being like, you know what? I made a mistake. This is my bad. I'm owning up to this. But I would on. say, since he's come out with a second statement now, and it was a statement that he came out with, that's gone. Yeah. It doesn't matter what he does now. He just killed his chance. Honestly, like I, I just, I don't. I was... Really, I only voted for him because he wasn't Ed Gillespie. Like, mm-hmm. that was the only reason why I voted for him. I didn't have any special 
feeling about him or felt really good or whatever. He wasn't Tim Kaine to me. And he definitely wasn't other really horrible racist governors that we've had before. And so I knew, like, Virginia is known for electing racist people to be governor. Mm-hmm. I thought I chose the not racist guy. <laughs> I thought I picked the right one. <laughs> well, it looks like they were both racist, Daniel. Come on down and deal with it. <laughs> no! But yeah, he should really step down, following in the footsteps of someone like Florida Secretary of State Micah Artel, who resigned apparently just last week. Oh, yeah. Uh, when photos surfaced of him dressed as a black-faced Hurricane Katrina victim. My God, Hurricane Katrina was like 2005, 2004? What the hell? Yeah, months after that happened, he dressed up as a black-faced oh Hurricane God. Katrina victim, and he just very, 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 apparently very recently resigned from his position as Florida's Secretary of State because of it. Wow. So, Ralph, follow suit. Your lieutenant governor is a black man. Let him step up and take your place, because I'm pretty sure he does not have a problem of he wore blackface for Halloween one year. Yeah, no, I don't think that Justin Fairfax will be going through that. Yeah. Um, he also is an alpha. Shout out to Justin Fairfax, the bro. Yeah, um, I saw somebody say, like, the lieutenant governor is a black man. It's time to step aside and let black people fix the problems that a white person has done in racism, which, yeah, that applies here. Yeah, That applies greatly here. It doesn't completely, like, this is just luck. It's just luck that you were did something super racist, claimed it, and then denied it. And then you happen to have a black guy behind you. Mm-hmm. Like that's literally just luck that that the way that that happened. Imagine if he gave a press conference and Fairfax is like seeing why I'm like, right? Like just like no, no, Mm-mm, no. I'm, nope, I'm, I'm over, he's giving his statement. I'm over <laughs> here. I'm I'm waiting to take his spot. I, I, I got I got all of you. I understand. Right. You just wait. Like I'm just up here because I'm lieutenant governor and I have to be. Mm-hmm. Please understand. <laughs> I'm not back here endorsing him. Gosh. Man, and you know what? I know because I've had some white friends that have done some just really racist stuff, and and like when you're the black friend, when you're like that black guy that's like with the white friend that either is currently doing racist stuff or had done something racist or said something racist or whatever, you like you feel this weird obligation of like, yeah, you know, I know you didn't really mean it, like, ah, mm-hmm. uh, like I'm. Like, I could imagine, I can totally imagine that, you know, Governor um, Northam is, like, inside the governor's mansion as, like, this thing came up and someone showed it to him and he's freaking out and whatever, whatever. Um, eventually, he's had he's had a one-on-one conversation with Justin Fairfax and we're just like, I'm just so sorry. I don't know what happened. I really should have thought more about it. And I'm sure Justin was like, I know it. I know that you're sorry. I know that you, you know, are, are a better man than that now. I know that it was a mistake you made in your past. Like, but I've it's been- my time. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I've been that black guy before that's had to weirdly console white people for their racism and be like, no, that was like a long time ago. I mean, who even remembers 1984, right? Like, I've had to be that black guy. And man, I'm I'm sorry for Brother Fairfax for having to go through that because I'm sure he had to weirdly console him. Um, in which, some which way. I think is something that needs to end. Like I know it's oh, absolutely. It, it's like kind of like a reaction type thing, but it's something where it's like, no, it's wrong. I can't console you on this. Just know you're wrong. Got to do something. 
Right. Uh, because, I mean, like, what happens is, like, if you don't console, like, the white person that now realizes that the that they done was really racist, then you get to the point of, like, the white person just being paralyzed by guilt, and then you're like, well, this is unproductive, so now I have to, like wash away any type of feelings that I have of malice or ill towards you, pretend that they're not there so that way you can actually get up out of your sorrow and realize that like you need to do something about this as opposed to continuing to cry or be super defensive or whatever. Um, but it comes back to that like burden being on black people. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Whew, I need to breathe. <laughs> I need to have no more updates about Governor Northam Unless it's a resignation. Yes, which that is going to be today's That's Too Damn Bad. Ralph, (laughs) resign. Mm -hmm. You're done. It's done. Step aside and let people continue your good work and leave your racist yearbook photo in your racist yearbook. I think it can apply for that status of being a racist yearbook. Oh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure that was not even like. Well, I don't think that's really a status anything <laughs> applies for, but I think the yearbook falls into that. I'm absolutely positive it could. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then now the uh, the attorney general just called Mark Herring. Um, he just called for Governor Ralph Northam's res- resignation as well. He says it is no longer possible for Governor Northam to lead our Commonwealth and it is time for him to step down. I've spoken with Lieutenant Governor Fairfax and assured him that should he ascend to governorship, he will have the complete support, he will have my complete support and commitment to ensuring his success and the success of our Commonwealth. Um, it's just like, bruh, like you, you gotta go. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really not sorry, but like you gotta go. Yeah, Staniel's out here on his Demi Lovato. <laughs> it was oh yeah yeah oh my god i love that song can you add it in it's done <laughs> all right so we now have one more segment and it's a brand new segment that's the brand new segment song okay <laughs> And this segment is going to be called... If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Thank you, Pusha T. (laughs) Yeah, Daniel's just laughing because I literally just leave silence and then, yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, for this segment of If You Know, You Know, we're going to be going over profiles of people that you might not know. So... If you do know, you know. If you don't, you will. So, something that's always kind of annoyed me when it comes to Black History Month is we talk about Martin Luther King Jr. We'll talk a little bit about... Also an alpha. Just going to throw that out there. Okay. Uh, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X. We'll, and then we'll mention other people. Like George Washington Carver. He was the man that came up with so many inventions with the peanut. And that's about all anybody ever says about him. To which, fun fact, did you know out of everything that he ever did with the peanut, he only ever had three patents? Wow. Is that because they wouldn't let black people have patents? No, it's because, uh, one, he thought it would hold him back from being able to create more because it was so time-consuming to get a patent. Oh. 
And then he also didn't think that somebody should monopolize off of a product like that by having a patent on a creation. Like he thought that everybody should have the wealth rather than just one person accruing it off of an idea like that. Yeah. So he only ever made three patents for the hundreds of things that he invented. And that's what happens when you live in a capitalistic society that forces you to be individualistic and take all the money for yourself. Yes. And when you say, no, I don't want to do that, then you end up poor. Yeah. And he also did not create peanut butter, which some, some people think they did, but peanut butter is apparently dated all the way back to the Aztecs. Sure. And yeah, he was not the creator of it. He also had a theory that peanuts could cure polio. Did they? No. Oh, okay. Scientists found that there was eat. no real backing for it. It was just a hope that he had that it could cure polio. Uh, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a preface on why I wanted to do something like this. I wanted to be able to pull up uh, the names of people in the civil rights movement in black history that don't really get the shine. Like either we don't hear about them in school or we just get these like one sentence summaries that are just lame because how are you going to summarize somebody's life and all their work? Into a sentence and then be like, okay, that's it for that. Hang up a little Black History poster. Yeah. So for this segment, we're going to be doing it for the run of the whole month of February. One each week, a different black person that I know I'd never heard about in schools. Me either. That we can hopefully learn a little bit more about. And our very first person is Miss Fannie Lou Hamer. Mr. Chairman, and to the Credentials Committee, my name is Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer, and I live at 626 East Lafayette Street, Roosevelt, Mississippi. Fannie Lou Hamer is a voting and women's rights activist, community organizer, and a civil rights leader. She was the co-founder and vice chair of the Freedom Democratic Party, an organizer with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and a co-founder of the National Women's Political Caucus. Her speech at the 1964 Democratic National Convention has been cited as one of the, if not the, most important speech in the fight for black voting rights in America. Fannie Lou Hamer was born Fannie Lou Townsend in Montgomery County, Mississippi, on October 6, 1917. She was the youngest of 20 children born to Ella and James Lee Townsend. Her family turned to sharecropping in Sunflower County, Mississippi in 1919 to work on the plantation of W.D. Marlowe after her family's livestock was poisoned. At the age of six, Fannie Lou began her education and picking cotton. The plantation provided a one-room school for the plantation's children to learn in between harvesting seasons. There, she developed a love for reading, excelled at spelling, and would recite poetry, but at the age of 12, had to stop her education in order to assist her aging parents. By the age of 13, Fannie Lou was capable of picking between 200 and 300 pounds of cotton per day, even with a disfigured leg from polio. Even though she was no longer in a space to acquire a proper education, she further developed her reading comprehension in her church's Bible studies. In 1944, the owner of the plantation learned of Fannie Lou's literacy and promoted her to time and record keeper. The next year, when she was 27, she married a tractor driver that worked on the same plantation named Perry. Pap Hamer. The two remained working on the plantation for the next 18 years. In 
The Hamers were unable to have children. Their attempts ended as stillborns. In 1961, Fannie Lou became a victim of a practice that became known as the Mississippi appendectomy, which she is credited for having coined the phrase. This was a practice that was common in the South in the 1960s where doctors would involuntarily sterilize black women while performing other procedures in an attempt to reduce the number of black births. Fannie Lou was given an involuntary hysterectomy while having a tumor removed. Despite the stillborns and the Mississippi appendectomy, the Hamers still had two daughters which they had adopted. It was the 31st of August in 1962 that 18 of us traveled 26 miles to the county courthouse in Indianola to try to register to become first-class citizens. We was met in Indianola with, by policemen, highway patrolmen, and they only allowed two of us in to take the literacy test at the time. After we had taken this test and started back to Roosevelt, we were held up by the city police and the state highway patrolmen and carried back to Indianola, where the bus driver was charged that day with driving a bus the wrong color. After we paid the fine among us, we continued on to Roosevelt, and Reverend Jeff Sonny carried me four miles in the rural area where I had worked as a timekeeper and sharecropper for 18 years. I was met there by my children that told me the plantation owner was angry because I had gone down, tried to register. After they told me, my husband came and said the plantation owner was raising cane because I had tried to register. And before he quit talking, the plantation owner came and said, Fannie Lou, do you know, did Pap tell you what I said? And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I mean that, that if you don't go down and withdraw your registration, you will have to leave. That then if you go down and withdraw, that you still might have to go because we are not ready for that in Mississippi. And I addressed him and told him that I didn't try to register for you. I tried to register for myself. I had to leave that same night. On the 10th of September, 1962, 16 bullets were fired into the home of Mr. and Mrs. Robert Tucker for me. In 1962, Fannie Lou had learned about the constitutional right to vote from volunteers of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. With her newfound knowledge of her right to vote, on August 31st of that year, she traveled to Indianola, Mississippi to register to vote. While attempting to register, she was given a literacy test that was meant to keep blacks from voting and asked her to explain de facto laws. She was rejected and was kicked off the plantation she had worked for after refusing to withdraw her registration attempt. Pap, however, was forced to stay until the end of the harvest. Eleven days later, while staying with her friend, Mary Tucker, 16 shots were fired at the residence in a drive-by shooting. No one was injured in the attack. Fannie Lou and her daughters fled to Tallahatchie County, where they stayed for almost three months. She returned home, and on December 4th, she went to the courthouse in Indianola to take the literacy test again. She failed and was turned away, but told the registrar, You'll see me every 30 days till I pass. 
On January 10, 1963, Fannie Lou took the test for a third time and passed. However, when she attempted to vote that fall, she discovered a registration was not enough to vote and required two poll tax receipts in order to vote. Fannie Lou later paid and acquired the poll tax receipts. After her own struggles to vote, she became more involved with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. For them, she became a field secretary for voter registration and welfare programs. And June the 9th, 1963, I had attended a voter registration workshop, was returning back to Mississippi. Ten of us was traveling by the Continental Trailway bus. When we got to Winona, Mississippi, which is Montgomery County, four of the people got off to use the washroom. And two of the people to use the restaurant. Two of the people wanted to use the washroom. The four people that had gone in to use the restaurant was ordered out during this time I was on the bus. But when I looked through the window and saw they had rushed out, I got off of the bus to see what had happened. And one of the ladies said it was a state highway patrolman and a chief of police ordered us out. I got back on the bus and one of the persons who had used the washroom got back on the bus too. As soon as I was seated on the bus, I saw when they began to get the five people in a highway patrolman's car. I stepped off of the bus to see what was happening and somebody screamed from the car that the fire workers was in and said, get that one there. And when I went to get in the car, when the man told me I was under arrest, he kicked me. I was carried to the county jail and put in the booking room. They left some of the people in the booking room and began to place us in sales. I was placed in a cell with a young woman called Miss Vesta Simpson. After I was placed in the cell, I began to hear sounds of licks and screams. I could hear the sounds of licks and horrible screams. And I could hear somebody say, can you say yes, sir, nigger? Can you say yes, sir? And they would say other horrible names. She would say, yes, I can say yes, sir. So I said, she said, I don't know you well enough. They beat her, I don't know how long. And after a while, she began to pray and ask God to have mercy on those people. And it wasn't too long before three white men came to my cell. One of these men was a state highway patrolman. And he asked me where I was from. And I told him, Roosevelt. He said, we're going to check this. And they left my cell, and it wasn't too long before they came back. He said, you are from Roosevelt, all right, and he used a curse word. And he said, we're going to make you wish you was dead. I was carried out of that cell into another cell where they had two Negro prisoners. The state highway patrolman ordered the first Negro to take the blackjack. The first Negro prisoner ordered me by orders from the state highway patrolman for me to lay down on a bunk bed on my face. And I laid on my face, the first Negro began to beat. 
And I was beat by the first Negro until he was exhausted. I was holding my hands behind me at that time on the left side because I suffered from polio when I was six years old. After the first Negro had beat until he was exhausted, the state highway patrolman ordered the second Negro to take the black jack. The second Negro began to beat and I began to work my feet. And the state highway patrolman ordered the first Negro had beat to sit on my feet, to keep me from working my feet. I began to scream and one white man got up and began to beat me in my head and tell me to hush. One white man, my dress had worked up high. He walked over and pulled my dress. I pulled my dress down, and he pulled my dress back up. Three days after the event of Fannie Lou's arrest and beating, she was released. The injuries she accrued during the beating led to a blood clot in her left eye, permanent damage on one of her kidneys, as well as other profound physical and psychological effects. It took over a month for her to recover from this event. In 1964, Hamer co-founded the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party which was made to prevent the regional, all-white Democratic Party from stifling the voice of the African-American community. After their founding, Hamer, who was the vice chair, and other activists of the party, traveled to Atlantic City, New Jersey, for the 1964 Democratic Convention. There were multiple speakers at the convention, one of which was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. himself. But the one speaker President Lyndon B. Johnson feared to let speak was not Dr. King, but Fannie Lou Hamer. Johnson sent Hubert Humphrey, who was trying to win the vice presidential nomination, to Atlantic City to fix the Mississippi problem. The Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party was approached with a compromise of two at-large seats as long as one of them did not go to Fannie Lou. The Freedom Party unanimously rejected the compromise. When it was time to give her testimony during the convention, Fannie Lou pushed her way through a crowd of white men that would not make room for her. She made her way to the front, sat at the stand, and delivered an unwritten testimony for 13 straight minutes at the convention. The convention had been televised, but when Fannie Lou began her testimony, President Johnson interrupted the broadcast with a speech he delivered to 30 governors in the East Room of the White House. When Fannie Lou and the members of the Freedom Party returned to the Gem Hotel, they discovered her testimony was not aired due to President Johnson's broadcast. Hamer was livid, but that night, in her hotel room, Fannie Lou watched as her previously interrupted testimony was broadcast on the news during primetime, undoing all of Johnson's efforts to silence her. I was in jail when Medgar Evers was murdered. All of this is on account of we want to register to become first-class citizens. And if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. Is this America? The land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America. Thank you. So that was the segment pre-recorded about Fannie Lou Hamer. A few more facts to add to that was that she passed away at the age of 59 on March 14, 1977, from a complication of hypertension and breast cancer. Uh, her funeral was held at Ruleville uh, Central High School, 
with over 1,500 people in attendance. And on her tombstone is her famous quote of, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired, engraved onto it. Word. That was her. Yep. In 1993, Fannie Lou Hamer was inducted to the National Women's Hall of Fame. On January 19th, 2019, so this year, in Atlantic City, at the third annual Women's March, it was dedicated, the march there in Atlantic City was dedicated to Fannie Lou Hamer, her life and her legacy, and hundreds attended, especially from a school that was actually named after her in New York that they still went to attend it even though a state of emergency was declared by New Jersey's governor because of an impending snowstorm. So those were just a few things to add on about her legacy. Awesome. Happy to have her do and fight for my right to vote and everyone's right to vote. Yeah. Making sure the right to vote goes to everyone. Yeah. And it's pretty crazy. Like the de facto laws that she had, like explain on the literacy test like i didn't know what de facto laws were so i had to look that up and it turns out that what de facto laws are are laws that are recognized like in reality but are not actually enforced by actual law and then i also had to look up the information about the poll tax and the poll tax was basically just a tax that was levied in order to keep black people and native americans from voting And white people actually were able to receive an exemption from this poll tax most of the time by being by what was called a grandfather clause, which was if your father or your grandfather had voted, you didn't have to pay the tax. So all the black people that were not allowed to vote in the past, their children did not have the grandfather clause to have access to. And that was literally some of the few ways that they try to stop black people from voting in the South. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you, Fannie Lou. Yes. Um, and thank you all for listening. Uh, Fairpoint podcast rolling out. Yep. <laughs> you can find us on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, and our host site Castos. Thanks for listening. Later. <laughs>